Good morning. Welcome to Earthmakers, spiritual care for real humans. My name is Josiah, and I am the grateful creator and host of this podcast. I'm a New Yorker living in Minnesota. I'm a clinically trained chaplain and spouse. I'm a recovering addict living with an eating disorder. I live with PTSD and other mental illnesses. Let's get started. No doubt many of you are probably following the news around the eruption of violence in the Twin Cities. Uh, This podcast is being recorded out of the St. Paul, Minnesota area. And so I um, want to give you all a report, a brief update, I guess, from my perspective, from where I sit. Uh, The police officer who murdered George Floyd lives in the neighborhood or, uh, well, lives in the area that my spouse and I live in. So we were worried for a little while that things were going to get crazy around here, but things did not get crazy around here. Um, and things still have not, but as you've probably heard, things have been insanely crazy, uh, in the city of Minneapolis and in the city of St. Paul, particularly in Minneapolis. People are being hurt. Businesses have been lost. If COVID-19's destruction wasn't bad enough, as our governor in Minnesota, Governor Tim Waltz, says the virus of racism has caused more harm in the past few days than anything else. 80% of the people doing the... 80% of the damage that has been caused, we have found out, has been caused by outside persons, white supremacists coming from out of state who are attempting to start a race war of sorts. I've seen, I have uh, not ventured out of my home because I have been advised not to, um, especially at night, but I have seen photos uh, from my friends in Minneapolis, and it looks like something out of The Walking Dead. It is unreal. So to all of my St. Paul and Minneapolis friends, and to all of you listening who live in the Twin Cities area, please stay safe and practice loving kindness. For yourself and for all beings. Today, my prayer for those in the Twin Cities is the prayer of Metta, which we have meditated on together here on Earthmakers before. I pray that may that all beings in Minneapolis and St. Paul would be at peace. That all beings in Minneapolis and St. Paul would be well. 
that they would be healed, that they would feel loved, that they would be free from suffering. In my line of work, we talk a lot about being the eye of the storm. Excuse me. You've probably no doubt heard that in hurricanes and in great storms, the center of the storm is generally a calm spot. If we were able to get to that center, we would probably be safe. Yes, that means that we'd have to go through the, the storm into the very heart of the storm in order to be safe. It seems paradoxical. But it's a brilliant image for people like me and like my patients who uh, live with the disease of addiction. Addiction is a storm. It's a storm that whips up and creates great chaos. And sometimes uh, when you picture hurricanes or tornadoes, or if you've ever been in a hurricane or a tornado, um, the destruction can be terrible. And it just feels like you're completely out of control. That you are going to lose something and the people around you are going to lose something and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Sometimes that's how addiction feels. And the cravings and the thoughts and physical sensations that go along with it. The way it wreaks havoc on your life. It's a scary thing. But I remind my patients that we can be the eye of the storm. The greatest monastics in spiritual communities throughout traditions and religions and throughout history, from Buddhist monks to Franciscan friars, to Cistercian Benedictine monks, to desert mystics, have found ways to become so in touch with the here and now, to become so in touch with this, with themselves as they are here and now, that all of the external stuff going on around them does not matter. When we realize that the addict in us, in all of us, is just the voice of the teenager, when we realize that it's just an ex- when we realize that it's just a voice within us, it's not it's not us. <laughs> it's just something operating within us. You wouldn't tell somebody with cancer you are the cancer that's working within you. We wouldn't say that. We would say that the cancer is a foreign invader. That's what addiction is. Addiction is a foreign invader. And yet, 
Oddly enough, despite it being a foreign invader, it's become the default response. It's baffling, and I'm not a scientist or a medical professional, so I can't speak to uh, the details there. But I can point us toward the spiritual work. Spiritual unrest starts to unfold in addiction. And we would not say that people are the spiritual unrest. Once we can separate the addict voice, the destructive, damaging voice, the shame voice, the hurt voice from who we actually are, in our most authentic selves. It becomes a little easier, not a lot easier, but a little easier to work toward being the eye of the storm. <clears throat> There's a story that I love from Christian tradition. It's in the uh, Holy Gospels. I cannot, uh, despite um, years of college and seminary, I cannot <laughs> remember which of the Gospels this is found in. I think it may be in Mark. I think it may be in more than one of the Gospels in the New Testament. Um, the Gospels are um, accounts of the life of Jesus from different perspectives. One of the stories, uh, one of the the. I guess, legends of Jesus in the Gospels is that Jesus <clears throat> is out in a boat with his disciples. His disciples were mostly uh, uh, fisher people. They were um, fishermen. They made their living via fishing and providing their local community with fish. Fish was a big deal communities, entire communities in antiquated Palestine were built around um, fishing boats and nets and the use of those. This is how life carried, moved forward. So Jesus spent a lot of time, I think, uh, going on fishing trips with his disciples. Jesus was not a fisherman. Jesus was a working-class carpenter. <clears throat> Just a different um, trade than his friends. Now, you take these disciples, and you take Jesus, and these are all historically <clears throat> men who... <clears throat> had, I'm so sorry about this fucking frog in my throat. Uh, my allergies are just so bad. <laughs> so sorry. Please bear with me. You take Jesus and you take his disciples and you see that what we have here is a group of men who have been rejected by the local rabbi. Um, as a young Hebrew boy in an uh, in, uh, antiquated Palestinian Judaism, you would have taken 
um, an, a test uh, that, that was given to you by the rabbi after doing Hebrew school. And if you pass the test, then you join the elite of the young males in the community and you become the rabbi's apprentice and you follow him around. You take on the rabbi's yoke, as it would be said in that time and place. Jesus, because Jesus took on his father Joseph's trade as a carpenter and because the disciples were mostly fishermen, we can uh, draw from that and we can guess that they were all rejected by the local rabbi. So here are a bunch of guys who are rejected, who have uh, also given up a no any sense of a normal life to live the spiritual life, to walk the middle path. They have probably received lots of persecution. They've probably experienced a lot of loss in this season. And they are uh, probably full of all kinds of difficult, challenging emotions as they ride in this fishing boat on the waters. They're just doing their thing, fishing. They already have internal storms raging. But then, out in the middle of the water, so the story goes, a storm picks up. And it starts to rage all around them, and it's tossing their little fishing boat. And they are terrified. This storm is overpowering them. They fear they're going to drown. And so, knowing that their, their friend Jesus is their rabbi and their lord and master, they call out to this enlightened being and say, Jesus, master, save us. They're calling out in their fear. Because they cannot control the boat or their destiny in that moment, they call out to Jesus because maybe he can do something. He's demonstrated his power before. And as the story goes, Jesus stands up in the boat, stretches his hand out over the stormy waters and says, Peace. Be still. And the waves and the storm hear the voice of Jesus and are calm before him. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Ye of little faith. Why do you fear so much? In that moment, I think what's impressive is not the miracle of calming the physical storm. I don't know if Jesus actually did that. I'm going to guess he didn't. If he was a man, right? If he was a human man, I, I don't think he probably actually calmed physical stormy waters. But the metaphor is very powerful. The, the symbolism, the imagery contains a lot of truth. In that moment, what's impressive is that Jesus demonstrates to his students, to his apprentices, how to be the calm in the center of the storm. 
when you are calm, the storm calms. It may still, yes, it may still appear as if it's raging around you, but it can't touch you. So it might as well just be calm. Because if you're so calm that you've stopped giving so many shits about all the things that you can't control already that are unfolding around you, then it's as if the storm never happened in the first place. Jesus demonstrates in that moment that when he is calm, the storm is calm. When he is no storm, there is no storm around him. I don't think this is the story of some Marvel superhero demonstrating their powers or Harry Potter waving his wand or Luke Skywalker doing some kind of force shit. I think this is an example of an enlightened being calming the storm within. What if the storm raging around Jesus in that moment was not an actual physical storm, but was an internal emotional storm that the disciples were holding on to? What if? I mean, either way, I guess it doesn't fully matter, but the physical storm in the story seems like a manifestation or an incarnation of what the disciples are probably already feeling. They've abandoned their families to follow this homeless, itinerant street preacher and healer around. They probably feel a lot of shame and anxiety. Rome has occupied Second Temple Palestine. At any moment, Violence could break out, and they could be victims of crucifixion, a painful, gruesome form of Roman execution by the state. It sounds a lot like Minneapolis the past few days. The National Guard have come in and occupied. White supremacists from out of state have come in and occupied. And those of us on the side of justice, especially people of color, might be afraid and want a solution right away. And the solution that an enlightened, awakened being, Jesus, the Buddha, a bodhisattva, would offer is peace be still. Take some deep breaths with me. Hold for four, three, four. Oh, two, three, four. This next time when you breathe in, breathe in on four, hold for four, and when you breathe out, release with a wide, open-mouthed breath. In, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four, 
out. Two, three, four. Feel the heat of your breath. There may be storms whipping around in your mind and heart. There may be storms whipped, whipping around you physically outside of you. You might be a resident in Minneapolis or in the city of St. Paul and you might be fearful. I get it. I totally get it. You are the calm. You are the eye of the storm. You are the calm center. You are the astral plane. You are, I am, isness. Holy quiet and stillness. Settle into a pattern of in and out breathing, just the natural rise and fall of your belly. Place one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly, and close your eyes. Loosen your jaw and your neck and your shoulders. Don't hold yourself too tightly. Rest where you are, but don't slouch. And just breathe. And as you breathe, feel your hands rise and fall with your belly and your chest. And listen to this poem as our meditation for the day. This is a poem called When I Am Very Still. And it was written by me during a period of terrible anxiety a few months ago. When I am very still, I welcome the colors curled up next to me. They are round cats. I don't suppose my mind will ever stop its running. I don't suppose this heart will ever cease her beating. What if my heart and my mind curled up by me like round cats on this couch in these old jeans? Our colors when I am very still. I read it again. When I am very still, I welcome the colors curled up next to me. They are round cats. I don't suppose my mind will ever stop its running. I don't suppose this heart will ever cease her beating. What if my heart and my mind curled up by me like round cats on this couch? In these old jeans are cats when I am very still. Thank you. Practice stillness today even if it means going off into a quiet room and just sitting quietly with your own thoughts and body and beating heart.
sit with your breath and picture a sleeping cat by the window, the sun warming its fur as its body rises and falls. It's so still, so full of life and color. I love you. Take good care of you today, and I'll see you tomorrow.